Hello, 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 hello. Hello. Welcome back. Footnotes 28. We are we're glowing. It's in the morning. Wow. Look at all the sun. Yeah. Wow. It's a beautiful day. Yeah. Um, how are you doing, June? How's it going? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I don't think... I'm, I'm a little, like, off, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't eaten this morning. And uh, I was hoping that my fasted state would keep, kick in. Um, all my ketones would rush to my brain uh, for this podcast. But that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I've, uh, I've gotten tired of making breakfast, and now I'm just eating cereal. Oh. Which is, like, really simple, and, like, you get a lot of nutrients. Uh-huh. But very minimal effort, which is great. But like what what kind of cereal? <coughs> yeah, I, I eat vector. Oh, yes. Um, a lot of protein. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's actually helping me uh build muscle mass in any capacity, but I I like the texture of it. It's very crunchy. Um, yeah. It doesn't get too soggy. I, I also remember liking vector too. And it gets you with that protein marketing. Yeah. Yeah, for all the swole boys out there. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm, I'm assuming you don't eat it anymore. No, but, you know, I, I could get back into it. I think I'm a little intolerant to dairy. Oh, yes. You know, I was, I was at a cafe yesterday and I ordered like a, you know, like a cappuccino kind of thing. And then I noticed like little breakouts happening on my oh. But, but like very tiny and like I didn't feel any bad effects other than just those little breakouts. Were they, were they raised above the skin? Yes. Yes. They were raised above the skin. Oh, so they were papular. Yes. <laughs> or were they maculopapular? Oh, they could have been maculopapular. Yeah. Yeah. But the dermatologists hate us when we use it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm glad we're learning something in that school. <laughs> what what not to use to piss off dermatologists? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, on on the subject of pissing people off, I I do have a story from this week. <laughs> okay. Um. So. So I made a post on our I think Master Medicine Facebook group. Okay. It was essentially like a housing advertisement for the new place that we're gonna go into and I was kind of in a rush and then the video up like we only had a we only took a video tour kind of thing of the apartment um, and I was just like like in a rush to upload it and then I uploaded it with a nice post and didn't think much of it and then you know I get a message from one of the upper years who lives in the house like a few hours later saying Oh yeah, there's some like pretty disrespectful stuff that was said in that video. I was like, well, I'm professional. Like, oh shit, what did I do? Yeah. <laughs> so I so I went and checked the post, and um, there are also more comments from from other upper years. Um, you know, to give you an idea, it's like, yeah, not a good idea to post about your, or post a video about your like upper years. Um, with like with questionable commentary, let's say. 
Okay. Um, uh, unprofessional. And then one of the other uh, people who are living in the room also commented their displeasure. And, and then they had a fair point because it's like, we uploaded a video of their like personal spaces um, mm. on Facebook. Uh, and then the commentary, the running commentary was like, wow, this room's really messy or something like that. Mm. So <laughs> I, I hit a nerve there without, without really knowing it, but then, so I apologize and, and took the video down, but it was, a it was an interesting ordeal to, to go through. Interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, that just brought up a lot of other thoughts too about like, about say professionalism or yeah, about professionalism, about like, like what happens when you get on people's like nerves, especially like upper years or um, let's say people who may in some capacity have authority over you. Mm. Yeah, I was just thinking like, yeah. it was the same year. Like, I feel like it wouldn't be elevated. Yeah. Like the conflict wouldn't be elevated so much, but yeah, just because it's an upper year, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, like, I, I understand that sentiment because like, you know, I, I was having this thought experiment with my cousin, Jeff, who was in health site was with us. And, and it was like, yeah, imagine you're, you know, you're yourself like a first year med student. And then the second year health side walks into your room and says something like, wow, this is so messy. Like, uh, yeah, this is so messy. Like the, the example yeah. I gave to Jeff was like, wow, no girls want to go to like walk, walk into this room. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, something like, you know, that wasn't said on the video, but like, if some like, let's say a little younger year, I'll say came into Jeff's room and said that, that'd be pretty disrespectful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as that upper year, you feel pretty, pretty pissed off. Yeah. So, so I understand that, but the, let's say the dynamic shifts even more, I think because you know, there, there are real consequences to what crossing people. So, so I was, um, you know, this is more on like the hidden curriculum side mm. of uh, medical school and, and things, but, um, our tutor for, well, our class was telling us the story about, um, she's one of the CARMS interview panel members. So she was doing the CARMS interviews and after she got together with the residents to discuss how the interviews went and to like narrow down candidates, right? And what she said was so striking was that all the residents knew about like each one of the <laughs> members or each one of the people that were interviewed because mm -hmm. of access to social media. Um, and if they didn't have like that person's profile, they could easily just message someone else who knew them, like a mutual friend say like, Hey, how is this guy? How's this girl? Mm. <laughs> what are they actually like? And so, like, they are able to dig up like an incredible amount of dirt in like a very short amount of time. Um, and and that all informed the let's say a decision process, right? And 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 that makes sense because like these are people you'll have to work with for 
who knows, like three, four, five years. Of course. Um, and like, all that matters, especially in very high stress situations. So yeah, th that got me kind of spiral thinking about kind of all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this, this was a fairly, let's say, relatively small mistake I could have made. But, but who knows, like, I, I, you know, there are bigger errors that could have been made, like just by being inattentive when you're doing something. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering if you had any thoughts. Yeah, I mean, that's it's definitely scary. And uh, I, I talked to some of my peers and uh, some of the some of the ones that are really good with like making connections and stuff. They always tell me like, I shouldn't be too worried as long as like I stay like chill. Because <laughs> when you when you get to like residency, as you say, like, uh, the residents sit on the panel of interview interviewers and like, the course, not the course, the, the program directors there or whatever. But they're very much interested in finding people that they, they would like to work with. And so like half the battle really is just being uh, someone that's compatible. And, and so I think like finding a specialty that suits your personality is probably a really good idea because you're just going to mesh well and, and you're going to be in that in a good team setting. Um, in terms of like stepping on people's toes, like I can't think of too many instances when I've done that. I think some of the things that I've noticed though is a lot of the second years in, in our school, and maybe this is stepping on toes now, but a lot of them seem to like not be too interested in, in associating with the first years. Um, and it might just be like, you know, individually we don't get along, but uh, on the whole, it, there's this like awkwardness between second years and first years, which I don't really understand. Um, and, and it might be sort of related to this because, um, I don't know, maybe second years feel, first years are, are so much younger or like they, they feel that divide more just because they've gone through a whole year of medical school. Like I, I feel that now, like I'm going to, uh, I applied to be on the orientation team uh, for next year and I'm hoping to, you know, better associate and like connect with more first years, but who knows like maybe they're maybe talking to them and seeing to them seeing them and interacting with them will make me realize how much different we actually are because coming out of undergrad of course you're such a different person than when you actually go through the med school so i i think these sort of forces um contribute to this distancing between you know different years and sort of establishes more of an authority than there actually really is in my opinion like what's really one year gonna change in terms of uh, in terms of who you are? Maybe it's a lot. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I think like there is definitely a place for maybe like humility or humbling, like on on the side of upper years, uh, on the side of authority. Maybe to step down from that high pedestal and and to realize that we're all just like sort of human beings. And, and I hope the people that were um, that messaged you didn't like make you feel like a total piece of shit um that you know it was an honest mistake like you were just sort of commenting on what you saw um and yeah and then maybe there's also this part on on the younger years end to recognize that you know also like people above us are also human too like they they have these sentiments they they feel like you know they've earned something they you know you should validate their experience because 
after going through such a difficult year, you kind of sort of want respect, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think there's room for both parties there to make it less awkward and, and less um, uh, split or divided uh, than it could than it is right now. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and and I'm like pretty grateful that like what ended up happening wasn't you know like the dynamic wasn't something like bullying or, or, or right. putting in your place kind of like that like as, as far as i could tell tell the like comments were like fair maybe let's say let's say judicious <laughs> <laughs> yeah but and, and i i really do agree with that like dynamic and interplay between authority and, and like lesser authority like there there needs to be that uh, you know upwards respect for and validation towards kind of ranges of experiences um, and maybe accumulated wisdom like that that older people will in general have. And then like like you said, there's there's the vice versa of like recognizing that even people who are younger than you or, or who are let's say not as experienced, well they're they're still human too and and yeah. their struggles are, you know, like you, you can't diminish anyone's struggles or, or what they're going through at the moment. Mm -hmm. Like you see some uh, kids in grade, uh, grade four, grade five, let's say, and then you're like, oh, what a, what a, this would be a great time. Those kids must have nothing to worry about. <laughs> but, right. but I don't know, elementary school can be a pretty brutal like social place. You know, yeah. depending on uh, what your experience is, and um, you know, can't can't diminish that at all. And and you know, with the changes in puberty and things like that, it's a, mm -hmm. a very disorienting time. Yeah, that's their entire world almost, right? Yeah, yeah. And and just because I inhabit a sort of different world now, or I, I don't inhabit that world anymore, yeah, doesn't mean I should seek to invalidate that. Mm -hmm. So. So there's some learning there in terms of um, like how to treat people with, with a certain degree of respect and, and humility, but but it's it's so hard, right? It's it's difficult, especially when like um, I think especially when you're under like stress, and, and especially when yeah you've you're you're in a difficult place, let's say. Because like one, once you accumulate those kind of like let's let's say stressful experiences and like unresolved like tension and anger and like any range of things that you could experience going through life, then one of your responses is to well like do the same on someone else or or or, or express that to someone who's like vulnerable, let's say, or, or lesser, or you, you perceive to be lesser. <laughs> and that's like, you know, I, I think that's so much of the part of like the culture of medicine, or, or it can be at least, it, it has like the real potential to be. And I'm, I'm sure there's like many stories of resident abuse uh, or, or bullying within medical culture because- Of course. Yeah, because it's 
well, hierarchical, very hierarchical. And the range of like stressful and traumatic experiences like you undergo is, yeah, it's just like constant cuts to your soul. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, so. I, I wanna ask you a question about that. So at, at Western, we, we started this uh, mental health initiative called ProAction on Mental Health. And the, the group is sort of like undecided as to what they really want to do, but there's a few things. So one of them is like trying to promote mental health and sort of the day to day and try to um, put out workshops or, or things like that to help people get educated about it. But the, the other side is um, trying to figure out systemic changes that will help uh, in medical trainee wellness and well-being. Um, so one of the things, one of the topics that always is brought up is sort of that dynamic between, you know, residents and clerks and maybe um, attendings and residents, you know, the, the power dynamic. Um, so what do you think in terms of the balance between, you know, um, I guess protectionism of, of younger medical trainees, like residents from uh, attendings and uh, that versus, you know, trying to um, make the residents, the, the younger trainees become more capable of taking on those stressors or, you know, advocating for themselves and, and being more, more strong, I guess, or less influenced by what, um, uh, what their attendings or their supervisors say to them. Like, what do you think is the balance between that individual responsibility versus uh, systemically making it a safer place for medical trainees to be trained? Yeah, I obviously like I haven't gone through much medical training outside of like theory, right? And or, or just um, my exposure is just what I've heard or what I've read about. Mm -hmm. But like based on that limited experience, I I would think that larger systemic, let's say, policy changes like might not always work out to anyone's favor. Right, because if if there's a kind of unresolved personal dynamic issue in like a hospital or like a ward's culture, let's say, mm -hmm. and that there's this top-down uh, imposition of like, hey, these are the mandatory like new work hours um, that medical students or residents should be confined to, like like that can be actually like a huge source of tension mm -hmm. or, or stress. I think, I, and I can't think of like any particular example, but um, I, I'm I'm sure there are cases where where that's happened. Um, so so I don't know exactly what at the systemic level kept, could be done that that would be optimal. I don't think that's really my area of maybe expertise or, or knowledge at the moment. Yeah. But but in terms of like the personal dynamics, like. For for the clinical experiences like I've had so far, I think like I was probably like very lucky to have, and and maybe it's also because I'm a first year medical student and it's just oh yeah. so cute like and they baby you, know, you. <laughs> they, they baby you and they they want they want to encourage you so yeah you know like I, I've only had positive experiences so right. far right and. All, all the like attendings and, and residents that I've interacted with, you know, like have, have been very positive and, and encouraging. Um, and 
very well low in terms of their expectations mm -hmm. um, and and so i i can't imagine how, how that will like change dramatically and and i think we're lucky in in um at least most of let's say canadian medical student or, or resident culture um in that i i think there is more maybe leniency mm -hmm. um or at least le less so than the states I, i'm sure it varies by well, which part of the hospital or, or which specialty you're, you're working in. Right. Um, but yeah, like maybe some more of an openness as to like what the struggle really is or, or like, like what that experience of like, you know, 24 hour call shifts and like followed by just one day followed by one day of just sleep to recover from that and followed by another 24 hour call, call shift, you know, mm -hmm. you know, openness, there, on, uh, openness on which, on the side of who? Uh, let, let's see on the, on the side of people who are like experiencing or who have experienced those kinds of things. Uh-huh. Because it, it, it would be helpful to know what to expect right and and it will be helpful to know that in a way that's like like open rather than um like you have to if you want to really know what a certain specialty or a lifestyle is like then you have to do like a, a few clinical experiences and first they'll only tell you the great things and then you know to get you interested and then right right and then once you really get in the trenches like they'll they'll start revealing like what it's really like the internal drama and politics and conflicts and like scheduling and right. like all the other stressors mm -hmm. like those things are are really hidden because like for for a whole number of reasons right if like if if you're one of the senior residents and like you're really struggling and like you're i don't know and you have to maintain this let's say aura of like competence and authority when younger people ask uh, and and even to yourself like you can't admit that like oh i'm really not enjoying my current experience but but you feel like you're trapped and like you know it, the moment you admit that maybe you realize like oh maybe i haven't been making the right decisions blah 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 up to this point like like there's so much that goes into let's say like concealing a, a dark experience mm -hmm. that people have with the medical system or within the medical system and well yeah if if, if there's no recognition then then there can't be any change at all for me so, so a, a part of that is like, you know, I, I wish there was somewhere where I could like read some of those stories about like the toughest parts of medicine or like the toughest experiences that people have, like, I don't know, like, like politics and uh, fights and uh, like struggles and grief and, and all. Mm. And, and, and I think there are some like medical writers who help illuminate a little bit of that and and maybe it's just i haven't seeked it out yet and then there's actually a you know great wealth of things out there but 
um, maybe that would help to, let's say, ad adjust people's expectations going into medicine. Right. And help see if we're like what it really can be. Mm. So in parts that seems like it would be good for like even undergrads or people who are applying to medicine to actually get a sense of what it really is before applying. Um, I, apparently, uh, someone told me this, one of my friends, he said, in the States, they conducted a study uh, asking medical students uh, in pre-clerkship, like after two years, if if they could get fully refunded for the, the tuition that they spent um, in medical school and then just drop out I think it was something like 15 to 20 percent said they would and that you know they could they could take like a, a master's in medical education or, or medical sciences or, or something like that um, so that that's an interesting study because it, it just indicates to me like how like what kind of expectations people come into medicine with like perhaps a lot of them are sort of um, are miss they're not made properly the expectations are not right <laughs> they're misunderstood i guess is what I'm um so maybe bringing that to light would be would be very helpful e even for me like when i think about it though in, in undergrad when i read about about doctors and residents and their experiences um it didn't really click with me either and a part of that is because like the people were so far away you know it, it didn't feel like a local thing like it's like oh someone from the u.s over there like is having a rough time with their surgery uh, rotation like it doesn't feel real i, I think one of the strengths of pro mh right now and, and and maybe you want to take a look at that too is right now we're having like a humans of new york kind of style posting um mm -hmm. but it's like uh minds of medicine it's called minds of medicine and uh, the idea is right now we're having like medical undergrads, so basically people in our year sharing stories about the the struggles that they're going through, um, and it's it's very real because it's like our classmates who are going through this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And we're hoping to like extend to upper years and to residents and things like that to to address exactly what you were talking about, which is yeah. that sort of black box, uh, don't know what we're getting ourselves into sort of uh, ordeal. Um, but also part of that is just, I don't know, on the other side, I sometimes feel like we have to sort of prepare ourselves for the worst and that's sort of the attitude we need to always take and sort of deal with it. <laughs> so I, I have some challenges with saying this because a lot of my classmates don't like it when I say things like this sometimes. Is just like, what's the big deal? You know, like, suck it up. You know, there's going to be a lot of challenges. Like, I know for one that this is something my friend said. Like, I know for one that my parents struggled with survival, with like living, with getting through the day so that I could struggle with like self actualization. And, and I think that really speaks deeply to me. It's just, this isn't that difficult compared to a lot of things that that um, could be going on and and that's not to say that i'm invalidating people's experiences although people feel that way when i say that but it's it's to say that you know we have a lot of privilege and, and we have a lot of um a lot of things going for us and so 
why not make the best use of it instead of you know seeing a seeing it as a constant struggle um so i i'd also like to get your perspective on it i don't, I don't know where you stand on that yeah i mean yeah I, I can see where your where your sentiment comes from and i think i agree with it for the for the most part that like you know there there needs to be a part of us that needs to kind of rise to the challenge and and try and struggle to meet it because because of the things that motivate you like like a few caveats though right so like the first thing is like if if you have some kind of clinical depression then like mm -hmm. you likely won't see like like the point right like and i think i've read something recently something like um the hue of your like visual field when you become depressed like actually becomes slightly more tinted blue <laughs> interesting yeah and, and and so the expression like i'm feeling blue like feeling down like it's just very very accurate to, to our experiences mm. so like there's something at like a very fundamentally like psychological neurological level um that changes about your world and your outlook on like the work you're doing um, and and your motivation and your sense of motivation like when you're in that state so like right. that that's the first caveat like can't apply that kind of uh, let's say expectation directly mm -hmm. if you are like struggling with a kind of clinical depression mm -hmm. picture like the second caveat might be like okay so like so what what you described to me son felt like there was some kind of like meaning to your struggle, right? Like, all right, like my, my parents, like they worked their asses off and they came to Canada and like blah, blah, blah. So like you're, you're inhabiting a kind of a story that you're continuing. Mm -hmm. And like, like we've had discussions on like what it means to be in medicine and like what kind of privilege we have and responsibility, meaning, blah, 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 blah. Like, so, so I, I feel as though we're, we're fairly embedded in, let's say this web of of meaning or like a, a good enough story that can motivate us towards like higher goals um, and say, and be able to say like, past the struggle, like I will come out a better person and um, like, like I'll be better for it. And, and there'll be like a life to pursue um, outside um, af after the struggle mm -hmm. or, or even during the struggle. But like, I, I don't think that's like the, the question of like, why am I doing this is not a question that maybe not, not everyone's had the chance to think about right? or really had a chance to delve into mm -hmm. because it's something like the moment you delve into that question might be the moment like you have to struggle with, oh, maybe like I made a wrong decision, like I, I lied to myself in some way, mm. like 50 turns ago, 50, like 100 turns of decisions ago <laughs> that, you know, I was just like keeping repressed. Like maybe the decision to go into science was uh, just only compelled by my parents and I was smart, but like I never really liked it. And, mm. and maybe the decision to go into medicine was informed by like others' expectations of me and I didn't really think about it. I, I just played the game and now I keep playing the game, but I'm not seemingly not getting any intrinsic reward and I, I just want out. Mm. 
right? If, if those are the like series of thoughts that can come out of, of asking that question, like how many people like genuinely ask that to themselves? Because it's kind of like a, because then you're completely lost, right? Like you're, you, it seems like, and it seems like an irreversible decision. Like you might've gotten a big line of credit. You might be in like a, quite a lot of debt and like, um, and I don't know, being in medicine, you may like steer more towards like stability, like valuing stability and um, not taking chances and, and like, like having a lot of things under your control. Mm-hmm. Like, like considering all that, like, I wonder like how many people in medicine have really had a chance to reflect on like, why am I doing this? Or like, what's the purpose of all this? Like, why, why do I suffer so much? And like, <laughs> for what, <laughs> towards what? Mm-hmm. Right? And so when you consider those things, like, yeah, like, and, and you consider that you only hear like more horror stories as, uh, as you go on in your in your education, well, then, then you know, I mean, then I can understand kind of why people would feel start feeling in those ways and um, not really have a desire to let's say, yeah, you know, not not really have a desire to struggle. Mm-hmm. There's no meaning to it, I guess, and it. The thing is, it, like, it only gets harder, right? Like, it only gets harder and harder and harder, and and you're sort of like incre- incrementally taking more and more steps up this flight of stairs. And at some point, like, if you're not willing to bear that load, and it's just gonna collapse. So, yeah, I, I see that point, and I, I wonder how we can prevent that from happening. And so there's some personality types that I know that do have those those thoughts, right? I mean, you and I, we've probably reflected on this a lot. And so it seems more obvious to us. Maybe there are some types that, that never have the chance because they're never prompted. There are also some that luckily, without having to question, just sort of end up in this like favorable niche that, you know, this environment sort of suits them the best and, and they're like thriving. Yeah. Um, so... Kudos to them, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm, you know, but when I do talk to people in person, it seems like everyone does have some story that they tell themselves. And and that story really matters in, in terms yeah. of how they how they act and, and go about the day. Um, some of the stories are strange to me, and but whatever works for individuals, I guess. Um, yeah. And yeah. thanks for thanks for bringing that side to my attention. Um, on the on the point of uh, of depression and anxiety, I, I think there's I think within medicine, but also maybe within just the general culture, there's this um, this culture of denial, and and I think people do tend to deny even their own mental health uh, issues or problems. Um, and I think it is because some of the reasons that you put out was like, you know, how how could how could I, being in medicine, have these mental health problems? Like, how how can someone like me, who who is supposedly successful, like I I can't ha- I can't have the time to have these sort of mental disorders or 
mental illnesses. Um, and I think that's a big problem because I, people like people who do deny that end up just like taking on more and more and more and, and it just surmounts. And it, I know there are people, I know some people who have like anxiety disorders and when, when they talk about it, you know, it stresses them out so much and it, it it's such a painful experience and I, and I and I think I understand like why why they go through so much difficulty but then like I see them taking on so much and being involved with so much and I'm and I wonder like maybe if you did a little less and, and took a little more time for your own personal health like you wouldn't have to suffer so much with your anxiety but like I'm not one to say that right like I can't tell you how to live your life so that sort of thing it troubles me that, so I don't know how to help. Yeah. It's like, it's like a meditation saying like, what, what you resist persists. Mm. Interesting. And yeah. It's like when, when you have a problem, like when, when your mind flags an error and it's like a source of pain mm -hmm. and like I, I really do think that like biologically and, and psychologically it, it's it's very clear that the function of pain is to attract attention like pain pain demands attention mm -hmm. and, and the reason that pain demands attention is because like pain is a signal to your organism that something's off mm -hmm. that something's gone wrong and that by paying attention to it and, and attending to whatever source of error or, you know, there is that you can uh, heal it, you can right. make it better. Yeah, if, if I have like a wound on my like arm, then I'm immediately susceptible to like all the microbes and viruses and parasites and fungi that are out there trying to invade me and kill me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and th like, thank God for pain because then I can know and I'll try to treat it as, as much as I can, but but we don't do that in the least for our, let's say, psychological and mental pain. Mm -hmm. and, and I think a reason, one of the reasons is that, well, like we as a culture don't really know how to work with it. And, and secondly, like they tend to be more complex. So, you know, I've described like, in earlier episodes in the podcast, this kind of exercise I would do where like, if I'm feeling like a psychological source of tension, like one thing I try to do is like, try to investigate it more or have a dialogue with, let's say that side of myself that's suffering, like through some kind of meditative um, dialectical process, mm -hmm. right? And so it's, it's kind of like talking to yourself or talking to a version of yourself. Yeah. And, and I find that really helpful in working with some of these issues. And, and sometimes it takes days or weeks because these are really difficult problems you have to struggle with. Mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of the process I've been going through, like um, after the events of like two days ago of this, you know, social media mishap that I've had. Um, and like, you know, it's like, you, you think it's like one tiny thing that like you can forget about, but it, but it ends up being like so much more Yeah. that I need, it ends up that like, oh, I made a small mistake on social media. Oh, oh wait, no, this might also have like some kind of downstream effects 
on potentially your career prospects or your interactions with your colleagues. Like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, wait, no, like, like you being inattentive while you act is also like a source of maybe medical errors or, or pissing people off in your life that you wouldn't like to piss off. And, and so it's just like sprawls and sprawls and sprawls. And you're like, wow, yeah, what I'm, <laughs> what I'm dealing with here is like, is much more than I thought. And, and, and I could think like, oh, I don't have time to deal with this. I'll just brush it away. I'll just lock it away. But, but every time it, it comes up again, you make the same error again. It's, it's going to haunt you and make you miserable. And, mm. and there'll be pain because your mind is like, hey, June, like, here's like a critical area of your, let's say, functioning that you haven't really addressed. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to do good for you. Right. Right. So like, I, I feel really grateful because I like have a, let's say platform like this, where, where this is kind of like a, you know, instead of talking to like a miniature uh, version of myself, I, I talk to another person, mm -hmm. give a different perspective and who I can develop um, these kind of other, let's say thoughts with. And, and so that that's like a very helpful psychological process for me. Like having said that, like, like who does this kind of stuff? <laughs> right. Like I, I look around and like, probably 0.1% or maybe even that's being generous, right? Mm. Like the ability to be like honest with yourself and what, what you're feeling, thinking, experiencing, having people to like really bounce that off of and, and really like struggling with it in, in like a honest and, and contentious way. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like where, where can you find that? it's so difficult and and, and so I, I think people need platforms to do that or, or, or ways to engage in that process mm -hmm. and I, I think we've lost a lot of that because like our, our culture is so that become so shallow and our you know social networks have become so fragmented and uh, isolated so how, how do we how do we sell that i that's one of the things that i really wanted to get out of our pro MH initiative is is cultivating that culture, right? But people who have never experienced it, or even people who have experienced it and have had not very great results, like how do you promote that? And is that even like good for everyone? Probably not, right? Um, it's hard to know. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> it. It's hard to do if, um, it, let's say, you try to play the game of. Uh, evidence-based medicine. Yeah. <laughs> say, all right, so uh, let's let's find some uh, evidence on uh, the effects of uh, storytelling on or the effects of uh, emotional vulnerability or mm -hmm. uh, story writing exercises on people's. I, yeah, there, there's an article I read like as part of our mandatory readings on like narrative medicine. Narrative medicine, yeah. And one of the articles was like, I found it so ridiculous because um, the article was, if you know that thing people do when like they're trying to make it sound more evidence-based and like more <laughs> linked to the to the institution they're working with, like the article was something like, yeah, 
participants who engaged in narrative medicine, like we saw a decline in their like pro-inflammatory cytokines. And, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's really cool, like basic science finding and everything. But I feel as though you're trying to justify it yeah. to skeptics. And, and I don't think that works, right? It, it's, it's something that comes with like personal experience like, mm -hmm. that you like see the value of something. Mm -hmm. Like you, you don't, <laughs> just because you're like, oh, that narrative medicine exercise had like a, you know, with, with this confidence uh, interval, like had this much decline on like IL-2 and TNF, <laughs> TNF-alpha like in, in your bloodstream. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I would it's so distant from your personal experience yeah so so i i don't think that's that's the correct formula mm -hmm. I, I think the correct formula is something like like play or or demonstration um because it's like it's like that phenomena of like when you go in to see a movie, mm -hmm. you temporarily suspend like your expectations of, I don't know, reality, let's say, and you're able to like kind of go along with whatever is being presented in the film, right? So, so there's applications of that, like, let's say, um, expectation uh, suspending process, right? So if, if you set the expectation that like, Oh, this is going to be an evidence-based talk, and um, I'm trying to sell you on the merits of this uh, treatment. Right. Like it, it's very hard to sell because, like, there's such a preformed and, um, let's say, and, and vicious um, way of defending your own beliefs and habits that is evidence-based um, that will reject. <laughs> kind of anything that you don't like or don't have time to try right so so some other um examples that i've i think are successful are, are things like or that are more successful are things like uh engaging in in some sort of theater exercises i think mm -hmm. the reason why like one of our faculty members like hartley's business has been successful is because it engages people in that process and it, it's what's well, just like a fun exercise it's like i'm not saying you have to do this or anything just try it out see what you get out of it right like and and maybe that those exercises help you help reveal like the tensions and dynamics of like a hospital word and mm -hmm. uh, tensions between doctors and nurses but in like a fun and playful way right it's in a way great. Yeah, where people aren't like on guard already and expect some kind of conflict, mm -hmm. right? Right. So we we really need to be able to facilitate. I, I thought like exercises like that, where you disengage, where you allow people to leave all their weapons at the door, let's say, mm. and all their uh, malintents and. Uh, previously formed expectations and biases and emotions. Mm -hmm. Leave it, just come in, we're gonna have a good time, we're gonna, we're gonna play and we're gonna like act or like just engage in this new weird thing that we wanna try out. Right. And like people are surprisingly like 
open to those kind of things if presented in a like yeah yeah good way mm. like and, and very skilled facilitators can can help this can do this like i i just remember like walking around montreal or something and then there's there's a street performer and then he was getting volunteers from the crowd and he actually got my like dad to go up there like my dad is the last person in the world i would expect to do something like that but yeah it's like oh yeah just come on it's like it's really easy there's like 10 other people with you like uh, 10 seconds the 30 seconds just like you know come on and and so and and then you start like playing along and then you end up finishing you know whatever you're participating in because you've already started mm. right and so, so I'm, just, I'm just trying to say that there are ways to engage people in in something without having to sell them on it first and and i think it happens best when it's in a spirit of like play and like open exploration of something rather than like a 1v1 debate right like yeah like <clears throat> I, I could demonstrate that uh, narrative-based medicine treatment is uh, better on your inflammatory cytokines than uh, this, uh, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, anti-inflammatory drug, you know. Yeah, I, I now I'm thinking like, if I can get Hartley to come down to London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, run one of his workshops. Yeah. Because that's what it is, right? It's just, it's just, it's a workshop, but it's just like a, it's a, it's a chance to play yeah. And I kind of see like our show like tachycardia like as sort of an avenue for people to just, you know, come and like open up and, and try new things and be be creative and yeah. So that that might be something that that, that they're interested in, you know. Yeah. Another thing that I find that Harley does really well is he makes people like very comfortable and he gets them to like trust the the community that that is participating, right? Like it, it's a lot to like sort of put yourself in that vulnerable spot where, you know, there's like 30 other people and they could all be judging you, really. Yeah. Uh, but you feel like they're not because everyone's sort of doing their own thing. Um, and I think I think we're really missing that. Like you wouldn't get that same feeling at a talk. Like if no. you were to ask a question at a talk, like you know everyone is listening to that question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're 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 bombarded by this judgment of right. all your peers who are like you know just as smart and everything, um, but in in Harley's like environment, like you know everyone has to like contribute in some way or form, and yeah, that that adds to the unity of the group. Yeah, yeah, and so like it, it's something like like the structure and like size and like the kind of activity that you're engaged in, like determines the dynamic of that activity or like, mm. so, so if you're in a lecture room situation where everyone's seated in rows and directing this in the same way, attention is like going towards the lecturer, one person and what they have to say, then like there's that like shifting of one person, one person attention by like 200 people um, to this, you know, like no wonder there's a judgmental environment you are being assessed by the mob <laughs> right. Right. so yeah I, I think in theater and, and other things there are like possibilities for a more open exploration of like any issues and i want to do a quick plug for something called um 
they're called liberating structures. And I'll, and I'll give you an example of, and, and what you can think about them as a collection of facilitation techniques or facilitation games that you can play uh, with a group of people in order to have like these kind of or divergent thoughts or ideas, but but in a reliable way, but produce them in a reliable way. So so one of the examples is the my I'll give you the story of like my thesis supervisor from the fourth year pulse side. Mm -hmm. so, he was a infectious disease, like, you know, an internal med doc. Um, and he got involved in like infectious disease, like monitoring and quality improvement projects, like in the hot, at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And at one place he was brought in, um, he, what he started by doing was like, he wanted to get hand sanitization rates up in the hospital. So what he did was like, Oh, he reviewed the best available evidence on like how to improve compliance to these things. And then he found these posters and then started plastering posters everywhere, but nothing happened. <laughs> like no one was changing shit because they didn't give a shit about it. Uh, who's this guy I've never heard of from another hospital telling you what to do. It's just annoying. And, and then because that didn't work, he started like putting <laughs> the same posters but on people's computer <laughs> backgrounds. So that yeah. when they open it up, like they would see that same annoying thing. And, <laughs> and I think at that point, I think it started rubbing people the wrong way or people got <laughs> pissed off. And, and the last of his mistakes was something like, in order to incentivize hand washing, he would provide like Tim Hortons gift cards, like $20 to, I don't know, someone nominated by, you know, whatever. And, and then that backfired really quickly because the Golden Mail <laughs> wrote like an article about you know that, like saying our healthcare resources are being used to give like sugary timbits to our like healthcare providers, like it's so unhealthy and like unreasonable uh, waste of you know, so, <laughs> right? So like like all those things that he tried to do from like a top down level kind of backfired on him. Mm. So he, I think he took like a year off to kind of delve into um, how to do quality improvement right and how to like engage people in the right way. Right. And what he came across was like these kind of facilitation techniques called liberating structures. And so after learning that, he came back to like another hospital and tried again. But this time he invited like a bunch of the nurses and doctors staff like everyone at the hospital who's involved in sanitizing to like a workshop, like let's say like a one hour workshop. And instead of giving a lecture based on like why you should work, wash your hands, what he did was he played a game and the game was, all right, I want you to think of, um, let's say, if the goal was to have the filthiest, um, a hospital you know ever uh, where everyone gets infected by virtue of like getting in and like interacting like what would you do and then so like you know this like a fun like weird game so uh, everyone started writing on post-it notes like i would never wash my hands like i wouldn't sanitize this blah 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 yeah. i would wash them. yeah and then they generated like a whole list from and everyone got to participate right and in this like list of things and and then what he did was 
All right. So of these things that we've generated and listed of like all the things we could do to make the worst hospital in the world, like how many of those things are we like actually doing now? Mm. Right. Right. So it's like, you know, spirit of fun. And then, and, and, and then in like a very non-accusatory way, like inviting people to reflect mm. and, and based on that, like, and, and everyone got to participate. You, you could see like the different nurses and doctors being like, yeah, actually like, yeah, the, the bed linens like aren't changed at this time or like, or yeah, actually like the curtains, like, yeah, they, we don't really do much about that. And that could be a major source of infection. And, and then you develop that dialogue and, and based on that, like, he, he wrote a paper on this like hospital in this case study like you saw a remarkable increase in like hand washing rates within the hospital because what happened as an aftermath of that session is that people just got together like organically like they set up their own team for like um, finding ways to solve this problem right mm. so it turned into a very bottom-up process um and and the compliance to like hand washing and their own initiatives were higher because, because well, they've had the chance to really work through and think through the importance of this and they developed their own solutions and, you know, they implemented in the way that they know works like for the hospital. Mm -hmm. right? so, um, so, so that's like one really successful story and, and he does this kind of consultant work now with with hospitals like all, all over the world because this is such a like powerful technique in, right. in changing culture right so so I, I do think there are let's say strategies like that, that that can really change things from the bottom up and and not necessarily top-down uh, implementations what was it called again they're called liberating structures. Liberating structures. Yeah, and there's an app on it. There's a website. There's a book. Oh, there's an app. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that lists all the structures and like how to use them. Oh. And if you look on YouTube, there will be probably examples of facilitating things like this. I'm curious, like the applicability in terms of maybe, maybe does it apply to? This is hard to say. Like. Do you think the nature of the problem contributes to like the applicability of, of this technique? So yeah. hand washing seems sort of like this, like not very significant sort of uh, trivial thing, right? But it's super important, but the perception is, oh yeah, it's just hand washing. Do you think these kinds of things work better for these kind of problems? Because if it was like, oh, there's a breakout of MRSA, like uh, across hospitals, I don't feel like, People would need this kind of yeah. of, uh, of thing to to take action. Yeah, yeah, and 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 right that that demonstrates like if there is a major epidemic or outbreak, I want an authority source telling me like exactly what to do. Yeah, right. right? And and so like getting rounding people up and giving them exact lecture like do this, don't do that, like report this, like like you know. That's very reassuring, and I'd be happy to follow that. But th that just demonstrates like the kind of facilitation or group dynamics you want to bring out or you want to engage depends on the like situation or problem that's given. Mm -hmm. So I like the part. Yeah, one of the parts, one of the important parts of being a successful leader or facilitator 
is being able to recognize the nature of the problem you're working with um, and, and the kind of qualities of the group that you're in, like right. the kind of culture that exists already. Uh, and then knowing like what kind of tools and, and methods you have at your disposal to to work with that. Mm -hmm. right. Um, so like there, there are, let's say maybe 30 different liberating structure techniques that you can use and they're used for different purposes. Like one is used for like, you know, like the one I mentioned is used for recognizing potential faults and like changing, reflecting one is used for like open storytelling and, and sharing or, um, you know, there, there are many other kind of methods, right? Um, and so I, I think there's a real potential there. And um, if you're a good leader and facilitator, you could really do a lot in terms of um, bringing people together in a certain way um, and helping them collaborate and, and open up. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, hopefully I could get involved in these kind of things. Maybe I, I haven't fully figured out. Mm -hmm. What, what I'd like to do in my career, but, but that would be something really cool um, to pursue. Right. Awesome. Um, this has been a really great discussion. I, I think there's a lot of ideas that I can take from this, um, but I, I do want to be, I do want to be mindful of the time. Classic phrase uh, for uh, interview settings or whatever. Um, but yeah, this week is exam week. Um, I'm <laughs> hopefully, like. After this, I'll have more chance to explore these kinds of ideas. And I think the summer is going to be a, a great time for me, for sure, to sort of expand my, my horizons and sort of get away from medicine for a bit mm -hmm. uh, and do some like more personal development things. But we'll see. I think both of us are going to have a really good summer and, uh, and upcoming year. And I'm really excited to see what comes out of it and the conversations that come out of it. Yeah, yeah. Things will be good. Yeah. So uh, thanks all for listening, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. All right. Take care. Bye.